Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are asking the question, is lifestyle creep inevitable? Yeah, man, this episode is going to be all about lifestyle creep, which is, you know, the way we see it, lifestyle creep is this unconscious, continual upgrading of our lifestyle uh, where it ends up costing us money. Uh, And I've got a good quote here from the book Sapiens that kind of speaks to the danger of lifestyle creep. And the author talks about how uh, that we've got these luxuries, right? And they tend to become necessities and spawn new obligations. And so once people get used to a luxury, they take it for granted, then they count on it, and then finally, they can't live without it. And we all know that when you can't live without something, that means you're paying for it. It's something <laughs> that you've absorbed into your budget. And so that's why we're talking about lifestyle creep today. Yeah, lifestyle creep is a huge problem. And I think it's something that you know we need to shine a light on. Because like you said, Matt, it can be done unconsciously. Most of the time, it's not like uh, a choice on purpose. It is just going with the flow. <laughs> and right. going with the flow can ruin our finances. Uh, but before we get to that, Matt, let's talk about pets for a second. You want to know what the best pet is, Joel? <laughs> What's the best pet? A free pet. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with that. I, I feel like, yeah, paying money for pets is also overrated. When there are lots of animals out in the wild that you could. <laughs> 
<laughs> capture adopt a bobcat uh squirrels for instance no. <laughs> uh i will say so recently we caught a tree frog there's a is it the american north american tree frog you know like the little green frogs yeah. uh you can find them stuck to your house well that is exactly what we did we found one of those jokers stuck to the house i was with the kids we caught it you know they're looking at it and i was getting ready to let it go uh when you get the inevitable can we keep it? <laughs> and, and I was about to say no, because that's my default, right? Just no. Sometimes I'm, I'm kind of a wet blanket, right? Uh, but then I thought, you know, why not? Why not keep it? Uh, and so we kind of had a little project. We got a, a little empty tank down from the attic. We created a little terrarium, created a habitat for the frog. And it was a lot of fun. And specifically, man, what I enjoyed was the fact that we were able to, to teach the kids that having a pet requires work, right? And so we looked up not only what its habitat is supposed to be like, but also what it eats. And so we've spent the, the past few days now capturing different little bugs and moths that we would you know throw into the tank, and which, which is totally cool, watching the frog like hunt down <laughs> a moth and like gobble it up and, and eat it. Uh, yeah, I feel like we're doing it right. But I feel like the best part of a free pet is that, you know, since it's wild, it's a wild frog, we can go into the backyard and let it free, and it can just resume its natural life, uh, not being stared at by, by all of my kids. <laughs> And so that just struck me because oftentimes we have to learn that lesson uh, in a more expensive way, right? Like, so say you get a pet, like a dog or something like that. Well, if you realize that having a pet isn't for you, right, because of the responsibility, uh, I mean, oftentimes it's left to the parents, right? Like, it's first it was the job of the kids to go take the dog for a walk, and now you're the one picking up the poop, right? <laughs> so it takes a lot more time and effort and work, uh, I think, than kids realize. But for us, man, it's been a way for us to learn some of those lessons, for us to teach those lessons to our kids without taking on uh, a large amount of responsibility or having to spend a lot of money as well. There you go. And, and I think that's a great idea. So I guess, you know, my kids want a pet and <laughs> they're, they're asking me about they want know, the pony right yeah they want a pony or and i'm like well that's definitely not gonna happen uh, a dog or a cat or something like that and, and and one one thing actually that you just made me think of is a lot of people did get a pet during the pandemic pandemic puppies were a real thing but now a lot of those people are going back to work in person and so some of them are realizing that they're not going to be able to to keep um this this dog on hand any longer so for for some of the families out there who do want a dog yeah, that might be a good place to turn, like your your um, neighborhood Facebook association or even the Humane Society, because chances are you can get a really great dog for next to nothing these days. Um, if, if that's what you're into, I'm still going to try to hold my kids off. Maybe we'll catch a frog <laughs> ourselves or something. Plus, I like the idea, too, of adopting a dog in your neighborhood. Like, you know, they have to go back to work or whatever. They realize that they're not cut out for, for dog life. Something about that dog being able to walk the same streets that it used to walk makes me happy inside. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping it in the same hood. I like that. Yeah. Also, I had another idea, too, which is uh, you ought to like look at getting like alpacas or something like that. You could have <laughs> your own little farm uh, and then you could uh, have like a little side hustle where your girls are taking these alpacas and maybe emus or something to like neighborhood birthday parties. What do you think about that? It might be easier to start with like uh, chickens and selling the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a simpler pet, but I like uh, it. They're not very cuddly, though, the chickens. That's true. From what I hear. Well, uh, for, for now, let's uh, mention the beer we're having on the show. This one's called Hobnail. It's by Urban Artifact. And it's a blueberry sour. Big thanks to listener Sandra for sending this one our way. We'll give our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode. But Matt, let's get to the subject at hand. We are talking about lifestyle creep. Is it inevitable? And speaking, speaking of frogs, it just made me think that you know, we've all heard the boiling frog and water experiment. Oh, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all heard about that. We were all probably <laughs> taught that in elementary school or whatever. Basically, like a frog who's tossed into a boiling pot of water, supposedly they're supposed to hop out immediately, right? But if you put that same frog 
in a, a vat of cool water and you slowly turn up the temperature, supposedly they get boiled to death, <laughs> right? Like they, they're just not smart enough <laughs> to hop out as the water continues to increase. That is the urban legend. Yeah. It turns out frogs just don't know how to relax in a hot tub. Right? I get, yeah. <laughs> Chill out, guys. But yeah, I, I feel like that's such a good analogy, even though I think from what I've read, that's not scientifically accurate. Okay. <laughs> it's like a old wives tale that we've been taught. But that same sentiment is true when it comes to our personal finances. It's a good analogy of what lifestyle creep does to us as we get complacent. Uh, we can easily be like that frog who's tossed into this nice cool pot of water and then the temperature just slowly increases. We have a hard time recognizing that fact. And then similarly, we have a hard time putting our finger on how our expectations of what normal spending looks like change over time. We have a hard time recognizing that in ourselves, but over time, it has a really adverse impact on our spending and on our ability to like save and make progress with our personal finances. I feel like this is another argument for having a detailed zero-sum budget, Joel, that you can look back on. Because I can look back and, you know, and, and see in 2008, how much did we used to spend in entertainment? What are we spending now? And kind of like slap myself upside the face, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's true, though. You know, like we want to be able to, to take a step back and recognize that, in the, yeah, in the example that you gave, that the temperature is slowly cranking up when it comes to our personal finances. Uh, it really does seem like we spend more money on everything than we used to. And I, I feel like I can say that's true about myself. And, you know, sure, this does have something to do with inflation, but we're also just consuming more goods. We're, we're paying more for, quote unquote, luxury goods and, and services. And generally, I think we are just wanting more as well. Our our sense of, of what is normal has changed over the years, and it's incredibly hard for us to, to see it when we're living life in the day to day. So uh, that's you know, on this episode, we're, we're going to focus on the topic of lifestyle creep and how you can combat it in your life because it's crucial if you want to acquire more financial freedom, right? It's, it's hard to have a handle on your personal finances if your expenses continue to climb year after year unchecked. Yeah. So, so let's give kind of like some maybe societal examples of how Americans in general have inflated their lifestyles over the years. I think this definitely points to the problem. It shines a light on it. So like maybe what was normal for our grandparents' generation is basically not even close to normal <laughs> these days. Seriously. And, you must be broke if uh, <laughs> you're living like the way your grandparents used to live. Right, exactly. That's, that's the general attitude towards it. Yeah. And, and in some ways, like the progress we've been able to make, the ways that we're able to live better is a good thing. But in other ways, we should strive maybe to live a little bit more like our grandparents, or at least understand that it's possible <laughs> to live that way. Sure. Like for instance, let's talk about housing. The prevailing narrative is that homes cost more than what your grandparents had to spend. You know, you, you hear that stat, your grandparents' house cost $25,000 or something. And you're like, boy, they sure well, had like it easy $7, back then. $7,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, but in, inflation is obviously, like you said, Matt, one reason that homes cost more these days, but it's not even close to the only explanation because the median house size in, let's say, 1950 was like 953 square feet. And by 1980, uh, the average home size in our country was closer to 1,500 square feet. Right. And now, <laughs> in the year 2021, <laughs> homes are, on average, 2,700 square feet. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, th that's some serious lifestyle creep right there. That's not just inflation. That's the fact that we want more and more, and we want bigger houses. And not to mention, too, parents are having fewer kids. And so, like, they had those smaller houses back then right. when there were more kids in the household. And now there are fewer kids, but way more space. That's right. More square footage per person by far. And so, yeah, not to mention, too, the fancy stuff we're filling our homes with, even refrigerators with TV screens like <laughs> on them. Um, it's just kind of all when you when you look at it, it's like that points to a whole lot of lifestyle creep there. 
Yeah, well, speaking of TVs, uh, let's talk about how many TVs the average household has. Nielsen reports that the average household has two and a half TVs, but 31% of folks have four or more TVs. That's w- <laughs> that's way more than we have. Dude. That's, a, that's a lot of TVs. I mean, in house. my mind, like, why do you need more than a singular TV? Like, you've got the big one TV, you know, that you all like sit down and watch a movie on. Even two and a half kind of sounds extreme to me, but I don't know. That's just who we are, I guess. <laughs> but the thing is, man, that is on top of the other screens like iPads and smartphones that we, you know, carry around with us constantly, not to mention the tiny little screens on your wrists as well. And it's not just that prices have gone up. It's that our societal desires have increased substantially as new products that make our lives easier or, or that allow us to be entertained more easily come along. Yeah, so TV screens are certainly one measure of lifestyle creep. Can't imagine many households back in the 1960s having you know more than one television, and just having one television was a big deal, right? But there are other indicators too, right? Cars, not not just that cars have become more expensive, but that cars Which have they gotten, have they have but, yeah. cars have also gotten bigger too and fancier. Right. There are some interesting charts, Matt, showing just how much cars have increased in size over the decades. I would say, on average, looking at the stats, they're roughly a third bigger than they used to be. That means like the size of a Toyota Camry today is way bigger than the 1989 Toyota Camry, which was my first car. <laughs> like it's probably the size of a Corolla or maybe even smaller now. That Camry that I used to own. Yeah. So yeah, the, the larger the car, the more money it's going to cost. And the fancier that car gets, the more options you have on it too. We're rolling in luxury uh, in the vehicles we're driving. And of course, it's gotten easier to sell expensive cars to to Americans because of longer and longer financing terms. So uh, as the cars get nicer, as they get bigger, the, the price tag goes up, but we're able to keep our payments the same by taking on longer loan terms, which again, implodes your finances. Yeah, do you miss your old school Camry? Uh, you, had a, you had that stick shift actually going oh, on too, dude, right? such a good car. That was such a good car. <laughs> Camry's a good car. And, and you even mentioned like the baseline Corolla. Uh, I saw that back in 1980, a Corolla cost somewhere like around $4,000. A Corolla today, dude, cost about 40% more. And that's even adjusted for inflation as well. So even just the baseline bare minimum vehicle has gotten a lot fancier today. And so you mentioned housing. We're talking about cars, uh, food as well, man. That's another big expense in our, in our lives. And even though the cost of food has gone down over the decades, overconsumption is it's quite literally a massive problem in our country. Portion sizes have uh, gone up quite a bit at fast food restaurants over the decades. Uh, what, what it is that we're being served, you know, when we go out, it's far more than what our parents' generation was being served in terms of like grams and, and calories, you know, sodium, <laughs> saltiness. Uh, what uh, what Morgan Spurlock was trying to tell us uh, back when he released Super Size Me was totally on point. Dude, I remember when that movie came out and it was... I mean, it was so good. It was like a revelation, it felt yeah. like, for our society. And so many people watched it. And I think you're right. I mean, I think what he did, the links that he went to to show us like how bad fast food is for us was like, I don't know, we, we all learned a lot, but I don't know that we made that many changes in our lives based on it because obesity continues to climb in our country too, yeah, right? It's like, affecting our health, not just what it is we're actually eating, but like it's bad for our bodies. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, as those portion sizes grow, you know, partly in thanks to what we're being served when we go out to eat and then also our own ability just to say no, the obesity rate in the early 1960s was closer to 10%. Uh, and now it's over 40% of Americans fall into the obese category. So yeah, this lifestyle creep has not only <laughs> made us more broke than we otherwise would be, but it's also made us like way more unhealthy. 
Yeah, it's not only affecting the amount of money that we spend every day, but it's affecting our bodies that we inhabit every day <laughs> that we move around here on this earth. Uh, but man, across the board, you know, we've seen increases in how much money we're spending, especially for non-necessities. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the percentage of our income that we spend on, on non-essential items has climbed from about 20% to 50% over the past 100 years. And so despite advances in technology, that is allowed for food and clothing to be produced for less money, Americans are still finding ways to spend every last dollar uh, that they make. And so you know, basically, lifestyle creep has taken on a life of its own in our country, uh, and it's costing us money. But what can we do about it in our own lives? Well, we'll talk more about that right after this break. I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with, uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. <laughs> Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney 
for 10% off, plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids, that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust and Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, we are back from the break talking about lifestyle creep. And uh, Joel, you know, let's also mention as well that we, you know, we've so far, we've positioned lifestyle creep as like a purely negative concept, you know, that we should avoid. But, you know, I think there are some instances where like one could argue (laughs) that it could lead to more innovation and, and more progress in our lives. You could say that by desiring things that cost more money, that desire could lead to higher levels of personal achievement. And and so, for example, let's say uh, that you want a vacation house, right? Maybe a a house at the beach. Well, that takes a certain amount of disposable income, which means finding uh, like ever increasingly creative ways to succeed, uh, you know, different ways to get ahead in your career, different ways to make more money. And so the way you see that in your life is you, know, you work harder or maybe you create an incredibly successful business that solves a problem or, you know, it provides a benefit for folks. By doing that, you've effectively made the world maybe a slightly better place, you know, by your desire to have a beach house. And so, I don't know, I feel like this is one way that you could view lifestyle creep as a slightly, you know, beneficial thing. Like maybe it's a cop out, <laughs> but I feel like this is a way that you could talk about lifestyle creep as something that isn't completely negative. Um, you know, on a societal level, many of us have jobs jobs because of the different things, the different goals we have set for ourselves that we want to achieve. We are going to talk about goals a little bit later on in the episode, but we do feel that there is a difference between the unconscious increase in spending uh, that that happens to us without us realizing it compared to the intentional goals that we set for ourselves. Yeah, I like too, Matt. You said a lot of us have jobs because lifestyle creep exists. On a whole, on that societal level, you're right. And like 70% of our economy revolves around consumer spending. (laughs) The fact that we buy stuff, the fact that we are upgrading our lifestyles, it does contribute to the general progress of society and the welfare of us as an entire country. But yeah, there are some negatives on the personal level that really need to be discussed because that's what we can control, right? Is our own personal spending and the way we approach lifestyle creep. Like we, we just went through some of the stats trying to communicate that lifestyle creep is a problem. And basically like if we're going to try to combat it in our own individual lives, we're going to be kind of like the salmon swimming upstream, which always impresses me. Like I love, <laughs> I love seeing the video of the way, you know, salmon swim upstream to, to spawn and even just seeing like the bears trying to catch the salmon. It's like, this is really just That's art- the coolest part, right? Yeah, like it's the like artistic. Hanging out, hanging out by the river and they're just like, mm, fresh fish. Easy pickings. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we don't get like, 
nabbed by a bear in the process of, of trying to upend lifestyle creep in our lives. <laughs> but basically, we are going to be kind of, you know, going against the mainstream. We're going to be trying to live life differently because the world around us is constantly creeping forward, enticing us to acquire more, inventing something new <laughs> for us to be like, oh, yeah, I need that, too. So, yeah, is there anything that we can do about lifestyle creep is, is the question that comes up or is it just inevitable? And also, too, like, Matt, what's your opinion? Like, why why does lifestyle creep um, occur in the first place? Let's maybe start there. Yeah, well, we feel that age is a part of it. It's pretty easy to see that our perceptions change as we get older. Uh, that is evidenced by what different age groups consider wealthy. Uh, a recent survey from Schwab, they found that different age cohorts had massively different opinions of what net worth qualified as wealthy. Millennials tend to believe that if your net worth is at least 1.4 million, that you're a wealthy individual. Uh, on the other hand, Gen Xers believe that you need at least 1.9 million to be truly wealthy. And then boomers, uh, they say that it takes $2.5 million. Okay, boomer. Uh, <laughs> but before you say that, you know, I think that this response has less to do with like the individuals that, that make up that cohort and more about how our perceptions of wealth change as we age. You know, I'm sure you can think back to what you were doing back in college and you thought, oh, well, I don't need this. I can like I can sleep on someone's couch when I go traveling, when I go backpacking, that kind of thing. But as we as we get older, we have different standards. I do think that that's sort of a natural part of growing up. But the degree to which we sort of inflate our standards, that's what we're questioning here. Agreed. Yeah, I think I'm 37. My standards are different than when I was 21. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not going to be as willing to do couch surfing like you did back in the day on your West Coast trip, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, it was super fun while it lasted, but I'm probably not going to be doing couch surfing these days. Or your buddy met his wife. Right, right exactly. And you know, there's some positive benefits to couch surfing, yeah, right? You yeah. might meet the love of your life. That's still like the best story ever. It's like one of the best happy endings ever. <laughs> I know. They've been together a long time now. It's awesome. Via couch surfing. <laughs> Super cool. So yeah, I mean, like it's okay that some of your standards go up, but a big part of why our perceptions change is because of how we're comparing ourselves to others around us. And that's obviously just gotten more and more easy to do in, over the last decade, right? Americans were fascinated by the lifestyles of the rich and famous or just the rich or just the famous, right? And social media makes it easier than ever to see how other people are living or at least get, get like a glimpse into how we think they're living. Yeah. And it's easier to constantly compare your life to others, which often, almost always, leads to dissatisfaction with your current situation because someone's got it better than you. But we never really see the full picture. And Matt, I think like oftentimes when I see that, uh, I think that that person's happier than I am, that they're living a better life than I'm able to live. But I feel like w when we step back from it, 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 there's a powerful illusion happening there. The reality doesn't necessarily meet the picture. The happiness level of the person we're seeing on social media, it's easy to think that they're living an A-plus life and I'm living like a C-minus life. Um, mm. But that's that's just not true when it comes down to it. We're only seeing the highlight reel, um, as we all know, really. But it, it, mentally, it's hard for us to realize that in the moment. Absolutely, man. Lifestyle creep happens not just because we're living in our own bubble and we've decided that, oh, this is something I want to spend more money on. It happens because we're influenced by all the, the different things that we see in our lives. Social media is definitely a part of that. Another big part of the reason that our perceptions change uh, is because of what is called the hedonic treadmill. We quickly get accustomed to those little upgrades that we've made in our lives, and it's hard to go back, you know, or, or to even remember how it is that we used to live. So, for instance, like maybe uh, you used to mow 
mow your lawn, right? <laughs> uh, you used to rake your own leaves, but then you hired someone out to do it, uh, and now it feels like a fixed cost. It feels like that it's not something that you can go back on. Think to yourself, like, how could I go back to, to you know cutting my own grass and, and raking my own leaves now that you've had a taste of what it what it feels like to have somebody else do that for you? Especially if it's not something you enjoy doing. Yeah, just especially don't be the person who like is sipping lemonade, watching the person do it. <laughs> That's when you're really bad off. But, uh, but but even I agree. Total jerk face. You're just like <laughs> sitting there with your feet kicked up, you know, sipping on like a pumpkin spice latte while, spot. while the leaves are, are falling <laughs> yeah. in the fall. Uh, but it, I, I feel that it's, it's easy for that to happen regularly with different things in our lives. Joel makes me think about that classic uh, study on the different lottery winners. Uh, and they kind of compared those folks to folks who had been paralyzed in auto accidents. And essentially they're trying to determine if uh, their happiness levels were permanently affected by one of those two actions happening. Uh, and not surprisingly, since this is what we're talking about, the researchers found that winning the lottery didn't increase happiness levels and nor did getting paralyzed in an accident decrease happiness in a substantial way. Yes, there was the immediate reaction, right? So you win, win the lottery, your happiness kind of level shoots up, but then it essentially returns to a baseline. Uh, and in the same way, those who were paralyzed saw a a pretty dramatic decrease in their happiness, but then they were able to creep back up to that baseline. And that's what the researchers determined, right? Was that there is sort of like the set baseline level of happiness that regardless of what happens to us in life, regardless of how much money we're spending or earning, we return to that base level of happiness. Yeah, that, so there's some good things about the hedonic treadmill that when something terrible happens to us, we, we know that humans are able to push through difficult circumstances sure, yeah. and to bounce back and to live a fulfilling life still, even when something as hard as becoming paralyzed in, in an accident uh, might happen to us. But we also know the flip side of that is that if you win the lottery or something incredible happens to you, it's nice for a minute, <laughs> but really it's not going to move the needle in the long run. Yeah, you're going to go back to just being you. And, and yeah, the same is something with even as small as having someone mow your lawn, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it feels good for a little bit, but then, well, what's the next thing I can tackle? And how can I um, spend more money to uh, alleviate other problems that ail me in life? And then you quickly find yourself in this trap, right? Yeah. So like, what, what are the antidotes to lifestyle creep? Uh, I think one is that we'd all do better to lower our expectations. I feel like, Matt, that's not advice you hear very often. Uh, who, whoever has given you that advice, do you just need to lower your expectations? Just lower your standards, man. <laughs> yeah, like in the dating world, whoever was like, hey, no, lower your expectations. You should be going for, um, yeah, just crummier, look for a crummier partner in general who doesn't really bring as much to the table. <laughs> like, friends don't give that advice. And, uh, you know, most of your friends would encourage you to raise your expectations. Stop dating folks who just aren't good for you, right? But, but like when it, when it comes to money, lower expectations can actually be really helpful. Basically, if, if you expect more from your life than you currently have, you're going to be unhappy. So what's in our mind, not the circumstances themselves, actually help determine our quality of yep. life. So lowering your expectations, it, it doesn't mean that you can't strive for great things and that you can't work hard towards making more money and making meaningful financial progress. But it is important to question the default way of thinking and to lower the expectation of what equals good in your life. For example, Matt, you mentioned TVs in the home. If we see that stat and we say, I need to be like everybody else, I need at least two and a half TVs, that half TV might be a weird <laughs> way to do it. So you're, you're like, all right, I'm just going to round up. I'm going to go to three. But if you decide that one TV is good enough for you, or maybe zero TVs is good enough for you, lowering those expectations is going to help you save money, but it's also going to actually ensure a greater level of happiness too. 
Yeah, it, it's it's crazy, man, that our expectations determine so much of how we feel and, and how we respond to, to different things that we encounter in life. And they also have an outsized impact on how we view money, how we think about, uh, just say, spending splurges and our views towards accumulating debt as well. I think one important thing when it comes to combating lifestyle creep is, you know, asking ourselves the question, how much is enough? In a society where consumerism has become a de facto religion, essentially, it's an important question to ask yourself. Um, but how do you know when you've hit that point of enough? You know, how do you strike a balance between allowing yourself nicer things while, while saving intentionally for the future? Basically, what we're asking here is how much lifestyle creep is actually okay. Uh, and we'll actually get to that right after this break. We're back from the break. We're talking about lifestyle creep. And Matt, you and I, we're all about striking a solid balance here on How to Money. Uh-huh. We're not against owning things, right? Like, we're not uh, about <laughs> that monastic existence. Some people might be into that, but uh, True. that's not really how we roll. We're also not even anti-Beach House. Because <laughs> that's a great band, right? Oh, I thought you were going to take it in, like, the vacation direction. But yes, actually, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've listened to Zebra. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, they, they have some good songs, some good albums. Yeah. Chill but, wave, but right? yeah, I, the kind of genre. I'm, yeah, totally, super <laughs> chill. But I'm also not even against somebody wanting to own their own beach house. Like, it, yeah. that's fine if that's, if that's your goal. But really, the old saying, the more stuff you own, the more that stuff will own you, has some real truth to it. But it's important to not let uh, lifestyle creep happen by accident. You know, we're all about making purposeful choices. So it's important to choose which areas of your life you want to spend more money on purpose and then actively work to spend less in other areas that don't mean as much. And I feel like on purpose is really the the key uh, phrase there because it needs to be this really conscious decision. Yep. Yeah. Balance is crucial. But how much lifestyle creep is okay? Most folks don't want to continue to live like a college student once they are out living in the real world, once they have uh, a legitimate paycheck coming in. Uh, eating ramen uh, five times a week isn't nearly as nice in your 30s as it was when you were uh, 20. That's true. <laughs> it almost felt like a delicacy when you were in your 20s. <laughs> well, now we just kind of, we've lifestyle crept into the uh, boutique high-end uh, alkaline noodle ramen, you know, like, like the nice noodles. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the same thing is true for drinking incredibly cheap beer. Uh, it has its place here and there, but for the most part, we like the nicer stuff these days. So how can we have some lifestyle creep, uh, the good kind that allows us to increase our standard of living while affording some of the comforts that, that are worth pursuing without hopping on that hedonic treadmill uh, and without crushing our finances, right? Like that's the question we're asking here. And also without getting into a, a cycle of constantly needing to increase our lifestyle to be happy, that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah, that's a problem. And it's a train that's hard to stop rolling once you're on that track. And so, yeah, there's a, a few ways we think that you can do that, that you can uh, increase your standard of living when it's appropriate, but avoid lifestyle creep at the same time. And let's talk about a few ways you can do that. The first is to budget according to your goals. And this is obviously just huge, right? We, we don't want you to budget according to the ways that everybody around you is living. Right. If you do that, you're never going to have enough because, you know, 
uh, your your one neighbor's got a nicer car, the other neighbor's got a nicer house, the other neighbor's going on cooler vacations. It's like a never-ending cycle because you can't, you can't do all of them. <laughs> you can't live up to all those things. <laughs> Nor will you necessarily be happy by doing any of them. Right, yeah. Even if you did live up to all those things and didn't find yourself in more debt, you might not be happier. You, you probably wouldn't be happier. You really need to budget for your specific goals. And it's totally okay if other folks aren't on board, right, with, with how you're living your life. It's your money and it's your life. So, so do what you want. Do what's going to make you happy. Do what's right for your income and for the way you want to live. So uh, yeah, this is where so, there's some crossover between setting goals and then aspiring for different things in life like we talked about earlier. But identifying that why behind your money is just such an important part of identifying your goals and then being able to budget for those things as well, like making sure that the money is there to actually achieve those goals. That's a, a crucial part of avoiding lifestyle creep. That's right. You got to make that plan. And then counter to that as well is intentionally choose some areas in your in your budget that you don't want to increase at all. Right. So for us, transportation, that's one of those areas uh, where we've chosen uh, to no longer make upgrades. And since we've resolved that no more money is going in that direction, it forces us to live within those parameters. Uh, so we're not necessarily looking at <laughs> the next cool electric car that kind of catches my fancy, even though I kind of like following them. I've decided that that's not going to be a part of our life. Uh, Kate's on board with that. I'm on board with that. And so we've set low expectations for what we'll be spending on transportation costs for our family moving forward. And it's easier now to be content uh, now that we've made that conscious decision. Uh, to, to us, it doesn't feel like deprivation when you've chosen that path on purpose. So choose you know, an area or two uh, of your budget that you'll expand, say, when your income goes up like perhaps adding 20 bucks to that craft beer fund, but then choose others that you want to specifically keep fixed at a low level. Yeah, I think intentionally keeping something low in your budget and not allowing it to inflate in any way, form, or fashion is definitely one way to help prevent lifestyle creep in your life. Uh, another, too, would be to make gradual changes instead of maybe the, the quick big ones. Because, uh, Matt, I think that you know the way the hedonic treadmill works, those smaller and more incremental changes just aren't going to hurt your finances in the same way that a more bigger, more expensive shift will. But oftentimes, like we can realize a similar amount of value or benefit by making just a small tweak. For instance, you might decide that it's important for your family to have help cleaning your house, um, if that's something you've prioritized. And that's okay. But don't go from all DIY, right? House cleaning every Saturday as a family, to having a cleaning company come out once a week, and you guys aren't cleaning at all anymore. Instead, maybe have them come once a month, and then you do the other uh, three weeks of cleaning, and uh, you know continue to do some of that regular cleaning yourselves. I think you know the incremental change is not only going to cost you less, but it also makes that new spending line item feel a bit more special. The baseline isn't being raised to the same degree, so so instead of going from like zero to one hundred overnight, maybe uh, you know go from zero to five and kind of like bump it up in small amounts, see how that spending decision, that increased amount of spending, that new choice is treating you and be willing to go back to if it's not making enough of a difference in your life. And one other thing, if you're cleaning your house yourself, don't save uh, save it for the weekends uh, on a Saturday. Saturday is your day to go out and have some fun. Do it on Mondays. That's how we make Mondays suck extra hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's vacuum day uh, in, in our household. You basically always have a case of the Mondays. No, only on vacuum day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is Mondays. <laughs> Which is Monday. And another way that we can keep lifestyle creep in check is to hang out with folks who have similar goals, right? The people you surround yourself with will impact your ability to, to be content, right? And to avoid lifestyle creep in a, in a pretty big way. And keep in mind, we're not 
telling you to ditch your all your current friends <laughs> to go find some new uh, monk friends, right? Although that would likely help you to cut down on some unnecessary spending. If, if you are going to find monk friends, you got to go with the Trappist monks because those guys brew great <laughs> beer at the same time. I will say, like, I would totally that, be down with that. <laughs> that is a lifestyle I can see us embracing. It's just like, wait a minute. Those monks live very simply, very frugally, but they drink good beer. Yeah, exactly. I want some of those, like, St. Bernardus monk friends, you oh, know? That would be awesome. I mean, we're, we're joking, but do know that, you know, the people that you hang out with the most are going to have a major impact on how you view, quote unquote, normal life. And so try to find a few close friends that have similar values to you, uh, including the way that they view their money, including some of the different savings goals that they might have set for themselves. They may not be exactly the same, but if they're within the same vein as what you're trying to set out to achieve, then that could significantly help. Yeah. And I know, you know, we, we probably talk smack about social media on the reg while also being on social media, right? So, true. but it's best done in moderation at most, right? And and so, I, you know, one thing that you can do, Matt, I think it's important to have real life human friends close by where you live that, that do share similar values to you, right? But also to the, the one of the nice things, one of the only great things about social media, in my opinion, is the ability to connect with people that have similar values to you online um, and to form groups of people that are able to share their wins and ask questions. And that's exactly what the How to Money Facebook group has become. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people in there asking questions, helping each other out, and really getting motivated by what other people are doing. And so I got to say, surrounding yourself by some of those people in the online world can be helpful too. As you're checking your feed, maybe, and you know, you're seeing the sweet vacation that a friend took, at the same time in that feed, you might see somebody asking, a question about how to put more of their money away in their Roth IRA. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's at least like <laughs> diffusing maybe some of the angst that you might be feeling on social media and actually propelling you towards your goal. So yeah, we, we highly suggest you checking that group out. But really, yeah, friends in real life are, are crucial too. Yeah, totally. We would uh, also recommend for folks to get excited about uh, future you, <laughs> right? And so investing more doesn't have to be done only out of drudgery, right? It can be a way to get excited about the years where you are going to actually be able to have more financial freedom. So for instance, I have no idea what I'm going to be like in 30 years because that just feels like uh, seriously a long way I can off. make some predictions. <laughs> <laughs> We've done the face app before. We, we have seen what we look like when we're going to be 80 or 90. But continuing to make that connection to saving more and investing, uh, being something that you're doing for a future you, that can really help you to feel more connected to the process. And I think it'll make you less likely to spend all of that money that's coming in today. Yeah, I think the future you thing is, is really important, Matt. I think sometimes when we're just saving for quote unquote retirement, it feels like we're, we're saving for somebody else or it feels like we're putting money somewhere where we're never going to see it. But but it's not true. Like yeah. we, we are saving for our future selves, but it can be hard to make that visceral connection <laughs> and to actually realize that we're saving for future us even though we know it in our brains it's hard to connect that to like our, the emotional side of our being right yeah I, th I feel like oftentimes it can feel like especially when it's coming out of your paycheck I think yeah. it can feel like just something that's going off towards something that you're never going to see sort of like taxes right it's something that the government takes and theoretically it, it, uh, it builds roads <laughs> and bridges and other programs Not just theoretically it does it in does actuality. <laughs> I mean but like a you know, very small percentage right actually goes to roads but I think it can also feel that the money that's going away towards your 401k can also feel like that money where it's just something you know that you're you, who knows when it is that you'll ever be able to actually drive on that road right <laughs> like, like who knows when you'll ever actually be able to uh, experience what it feels like to be retired. 
But keep in mind that that is your money. That is money that is going to fund your lifestyle when it, whenever it is that you do choose to retire. Yeah, and the more you're able to sock away, the earlier you're going to not have to work in order to continue to make money. You're going to be able to be financially independent, and that's that's a great goal. Or the more beach houses you can own, if that's your thing. That's right. Or the me- more beach house <laughs> albums. That's a much you know, more, yeah. more uh, approachable <laughs> way to spend your money. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I think, Matt, in some ways, lifestyle creep is inevitable, right? I- inflation plays a legitimate role in the things that we buy, which do cost more over time, as we described earlier in the episode. It's hard to undo some of what's coming out of Pandora's box when it comes to the way consumer goods are changing in our country. And as societal expectations have changed, uh, the goods and services that businesses offer. For instance, the Toyota Camry that we described from the, or the early 90s was a good bit smaller than the 2022 model. There's nothing we can do about that. Like We can't say, no, 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 go back and make me the smaller thing that costs less money, because that's just not uh, realistic. But there is a whole lot that we can do when it comes to changing our perceptions of what it means to have enough. Uh, Just because the average home size has more than doubled uh, from what it used to be doesn't mean that we have to aspire to have that size of a home. While home prices are inevitably rising and will continue to rise over the years, lifestyle creep is something that we can severely limit in our own lives. And it's not just going to save us money and make us more financially secure. We truly believe it's going to make us happier too. Those lower expectations, actually setting limits for ourselves below maybe even what we can afford is ultimately going to provide greater freedom, a greater sense of security, greater happiness. It's a win-win-win. It's just harder to do in reality. And so that's why we wanted to talk about this today, lay out some principles for how we can prevent lifestyle creep from just kind of you know, running amok. That is correct, man. Let's uh, let's shift gears, take it back to the beer that we're sharing or that we are each enjoying on this episode. And uh, you and I are both drinking a Hobnail, which is a wild Canadian blueberry Midwestern fruit tart. And this is by Urban Artifact, sent to us by Sandra. Sandra, thank you for donating this beer and last episode's beer to the show. Joel, what were your thoughts on this one, man? Okay, first things first. This beer's named Hobnail, which makes me Hobnail. Think, think of Larry Munson. Yeah. <laughs> who, <laughs> How do you know about Larry Munson? Okay, so well, I worked for the station that broadcast all the Georgia Bulldogs oh, games, no the radio okay. station. Yeah. So Larry Munson was the Georgia Bulldogs uh, radio announcer for the football team. My alma mater. Yeah. And, and we'll have to link to his call of that oh, game my gosh. In, the, in, the, in the show notes. Was that against Tennessee? I think it was. And I don't remember who it was that stepped on someone's face with a hobnail boot, but that's (laughs) how he called the game. It's a classic. It's a classic call. Classic line. So, yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes. Very nice. That's obviously the first thing it made me think of, being someone who grew up, you know, in in the state of Georgia. But onto the beer. It was rich. It was sweet. It was slightly tart. There was a lot of blueberry action going on, for sure. I will say, too, it almost kind of tasted a little like grape juice, almost like the communion grape juice you might get. That's not a bad thing. I like the communion grape you're juice. Just I'm just that, saying. You're saying that because it's purple, I think. <laughs> it like, is, it's it is a very dark purple. And so like, I, I feel like if I were to have blindfolded you and then been like, drink this, Joel, <laughs> and said it in a creepier voice, but like, Joel, drink this. <laughs> uh, I feel like you wouldn't have said it was maybe as sweet. but Because, I, I, I mean, it really does have that classic like grape juice color to it. Yeah. Um, but in my, in my opinion, it doesn't taste as sweet as it looks. Like, So it says wild Canadian blueberries. And when Kate and I were up in Maine uh, for our anniversary a number of years ago, when we went to Acadia National Park, there are just wild blueberries everywhere. And they're not these fat, juicy, plump blueberries that you pick up at the grocery store that are like basically like grapes. Um, they're much smaller and they're much more tart. And that's what this beer tastes like to me. And so for that reason, uh, it, it tastes just more tart and more acidic to me than kind of like, a, I guess, like more of a classic blueberry beer or, or something like that. 
But also, I can't help but to point out the artwork on here. It's kind of got like some old school, what it, what it looks like mining equipment. I don't know. <laughs> looks <laughs> like of... some climbing paraphernalia too. Is it climbing? Oh, I guess so. There's like screws and goggles. I don't know if it's climbing or mining. No, that's totally that's totally climbing. It's got the, the crampons and the okay. goggles and yeah, like you're the right. axe. Like, yeah. Well, what is that thing? I don't. I've never seen that. I don't one. know. I'm, I'm not a climber, but adventuring. <laughs> <laughs> There's like this tool on here that I've never seen. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, you're probably right. Either way, it makes you think of the outdoors where wild blueberries grow. I guess this is what you have to put on back in the day if you're going to actually gather these wild blueberries. But yeah, this was a really delicious beer. I got to say a quite refreshing beer after a little bike ride that you and I actually had right before we recorded this. That's true. Yeah. Bike ride before yeah, <laughs> podcasting is always good and before beer drinking. So I encourage everyone to, uh, yeah, uh, bike ride before you drink a beer. Yeah. It feels like you earned that, earned that yes. beer then, you know? <laughs> it's a better, better way to do it. Evie and I recently, like on a daddy-daughter date, we biked to uh, this donut shop that's kind of on the other side of the park and you have to go up a you know quite a few steep hills and i told her i was like evie you're really gonna earn it you know by biking here like it makes the reward of a sweet treat all that much more delicious that's true yeah, yeah. All right, well that's gonna do it for this episode for folks that want show notes for it just go to our website at howtomoney.com and maybe you've been listening to the show for a while now, but you have not yet left us a review. We would love it if you were to run over to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to your podcast these days. Leave us a solid review over there and thank you in advance. Those positive reviews help others to find the show. It helps others to figure out how to money three times a week. Uh, and we want all folks out there to make sure that they're doing smarter things with their personal finances. That's our goal. All right. Well, until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.